It's great to see you. Normally, I don't, I don't rock the handheld, but I have some dope rhymes that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Um, no, I'm actually, I'm using this, I'm not teaching this morning. Some of you, if you get our emails, will tell you kind of what's upcoming. And uh, we told you this weekend you're in for a treat because uh, in 2005, this is a few years ago now, I was in Washington, D.C. for a conference that I attended. And uh, I met this guy and, uh, named Trinity Jordan. You know, him and I kind of hit it off. Great guy. And uh, he was pastoring a really good church out in Utah, reaching a lot of people that are far from God. And um, we kind of kept in touch on and off. And then in 2011, I believe, uh, we were both speaking at a conference in Orlando. And uh, he was telling me that he was in the process of leaving the church that he was pastoring because God had called him to go to uh, law school. And uh, to which is there's so many jokes right there. Uh, just with about Christians and lawyers, but we'll, we're going to leave that. There's some, some lawyers in the crowd. All right, we're going to leave that alone. Um, but <laughs> we, uh, but anyway, he was telling me that they were, they were moving down here and all that, and so, uh, and they've been now for the last season here attending Calvary uh, when he's not out speaking and all that, and when he's not, uh, you know, uh, in, in in law school. And so we, him and I were, were getting together, and I said, hey, you know, it'd be great for you to come and speak at Calvary, and uh, he has a brand new book that just came out that that's called sabotage how insecurity destroys everything. And so it was a cool, I thought, man, it would be a great opportunity for him to, uh, for him to come out, talk a little bit, share a little bit about the message of the book. And so you guys can, uh, kind of hear him just to let you know, he's a little bit under the weather. Uh, so he, his voice sounds a cross between Barry White and Darth Vader. Uh, so just to let you know, so, uh, you know, he's going to, you know, my darling, uh, you know, he's going to do that. Can't be believed the doors I'm looking for. Anyway, I don't know, something like that. So, uh, so anyway, he's been doing, I've been asking him to recite lines. He might tell you some of that in a, in a bit. But uh, if you would, if we give a big Calvary welcome to Trinity Jordan. He's going to come out and share with us. Pastor Bob is a big Star Wars fan, so he's been back there like, come on, please, please, please do it. So I've been like, okay, okay. And you have a twin sister. <laughs> It's great. He's making me recite Star Wars, and my wife's, like, making me sing, Woo, let's get it on. <laughs> so, the, yes, this is what happens when you catch uh, the bug in Miami. Um, we moved from Salt Lake City to Utah, or from Salt Lake City, Utah to Miami, and uh, I've never been as sick as I've ever been this last week, catching whatever you guys have here in Miami. <laughs> And now my vocal cords are paying the price for it right now. So they told me to dress. This is literally what the memo said. Every church that books you, they give you, you know, usually what you need to know. The, the church told me to, to, to dress smart casual. I have no clue what that means. But Pastor Bob wears a vest every time I've seen him. He's laughing off stage right there. So I looked through my closet and found the only vest I got. And I was like, I was putting this on. I'm going to sweat because it's Miami, but whatever. Whatever. It's good to be here with you. I do apologize. My voice, I mean, I do have the most manly voice you've ever heard speak here. But today it's just a little bit more manly. A little bit more than normal. 
<clears throat> so I apologize. So if you'll bear with me, but uh, we'll, we'll, we're going we're gonna to study together and, and learn something together. I don't think um, that I'm a very good preacher, but I think I'm a good teacher. And so I just want to teach, teach you today specifically about the idea of insecurity. And I want to talk to you about insecurity this morning because this is something I think all of us deal with. And I don't, I honestly believe that most of us in this room, um, we, we hate the topic of insecurity. And we hate the topic of insecurity because all of us are insecure. Every single one of us. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And it doesn't matter how young you are. We all deal with insecurity. And so I wrote a book called Sabotage, How Insecurity Destroys Everything. And it came out this year. And I thought when I would write this book, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be really honest about my insecurities. And so through the pages of Sabotage, I just tried to expose who I was. I didn't try to put on any masks or try to make things pretty because... My life is not pretty at all, but I just wanted to be real. And if you're honest, and I know church is not a place that most people are honest. It's all right. All of us are insecure. So if you'll just follow with me um, through the, some, the pages of what we call sacred literature, I just want to point out a few things to you. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 20. I'm going to be um, there in John chapter 21 as well. So when I first started becoming a follower of Jesus and I would attend church, you know what I hated most is I hated watching people get up on stage and talk to me about what the Bible said. And they all seemed to to be like they had this cape on their shoulders and it was flowing in the wind and there was a nice big S on the back of it. And they would just stand up on stage like this the whole time. And I was like, I can never be like that person. And then the way they would read scripture to me, I would be like, I am not like any of the people in the Bible. There is no way I can measure up to that. But what I started to realize when you get through all the facades that exist, that every person that stood up on the stage was just masking it. They were real people. And what I started to realize when I would slowly read through scripture is that every person that I find in the Bible was just like you and I. They were real people, real problems. And a lot of times I I really can't stand this when people are like, you know what? We need to get back to the New Testament church. I'm like, no. The reason why we have a New Testament is because the New Testament church was so messed up. Paul was writing to them and going, stop. Don't do that. That's your sister. You think I'm lying. You should read the letters. I don't want to go back to the New Testament. I think we've made some strides. They were messed up. And Paul was trying to correct them over and over and over. It's because they were real people. They were human. They had issues like you and I. And so the Bible wasn't a book to to stray away from and to say, I can't be like this. The Bible was more of a book that I could read and I could see myself as I would read it. And see, like, I'm just as messed up. I struggle with that as well. Let me show you what I'm talking about. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter 
and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Wow, what a jab at Peter there. And said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Okay, so during this time, when you were going to write a firsthand account of a situation, a narrative that you were part of, it was customary, and we don't have anything like this in English literature. It was customary not to use personal pronouns to describe yourself. So you wouldn't use I, me, we. You wouldn't even use your, your first name and say like, I, John, did this. You would come up with a descriptive way to describe yourself so that your reader would identify you throughout the pages of this narrative. John, throughout the whole book of John, has come up with a way to describe himself. And it is the one whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm not saying he's egotistical. I'm not saying he's arrogant. But he does give himself a description that is kind of probably something for the rest of the disciples to argue with him about, right? They're like, wait a minute. You're the one Jesus loves? What about me? Note to self. John writes his gospel last after all the other disciples are dead. No one to argue with John. He writes and he's like, huh? All right, there it goes. Published. All right, verse three. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. Watch this, slow down. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Which one are you? I'm the one who Jesus loved and I'm a faster runner than Peter. <laughs> Verse five, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, entering the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which has been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. Ah, yes. Who are you? I am the one that is faster than Peter. I'm the one that ran to the tomb and got there first. I am the one who Jesus loves. And when I walked into the tomb, I believed. Not like unbelieving Peter who went in, I believed. So John is writing this gospel account. He's writing this story to you and I. He's trying to tell you, like the tomb is empty. Like if you're a Christian, if you believe in the resurrected Messiah, this is the crescendo of, of what it means to be a Christian. That the tomb is empty. And he's telling you this important part of his story. But laced in the middle of his important story, the story of creation's account of Messiah is a petty rivalry between John and Peter laced in the middle of the tomb is empty is I'm a faster runner than Peter. All right, now turn to John 21, very next chapter. So somebody argued with me once and said, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think that John and Peter, that there was a rivalry. And I was like, man, you should read all of John who points out every time Peter is a buffoon. It's always John. All the classic stories of Peter being 
really uh, eager to do something and failing, John is the one that always makes you uh, or tells us about these stories. So in John 21, very next chapter, what we've had is Jesus has has been resurrected. He he has revealed himself to his disciples. There's this moment where he is eating with the disciples. They're they're having a fish fry or something on the, the banks of the Sea of Galilee early in the morning. They're hanging out, and Jesus and Peter are talking to each other. This is in verse 15. Verse 15, it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. So what's happening here is this is actually the moment where Jesus is telling Peter, this is what I have for you. This is what I want you to do in, in this world. This is what your calling is here on earth. He's telling him this. I mean, every single one of us in this room, if we were like, uh, I would love Jesus to do that for me. We would want this. This is happening for Peter. Verse 16. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, Son of, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd, my sheep. And he said to him third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 18 says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20 is key. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So here's creeper John. Creeping up on this conversation. And if that, if that doesn't get any better for you, John has to insert into the middle of Peter's story how important he is. He says, the one who also had leaned back on, the bos- on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is that who betrays you? Verse 21. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So here's this sacred, holy moment between Peter and and Jesus. And Jesus is telling Peter, this is what I want you to do. This is what you get. You're going to be a leader. And all Peter can think about is, what does he get? Is he getting something better? Is he getting something more? I want to know. Does he get a better deal out of this? This guy's always around Jesus. What does he get? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to them that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? It's because back then people would take Jesus's words. They would twist them and turn them and make them mean things that they didn't mean. We don't have that problem today, so you don't have to worry about it, okay? So Jesus says, what is that to you? How many times are you and I invited into this wonderful world of living out who you are and you get sidetracked and your joy gets stolen because you're constantly looking 
looking to your right and to your left. And you're comparing yourself to somebody else. And you're constantly wondering if you got what you were supposed to get versus somebody else. How many times is is your joy stolen because you compare yourself? Which really is a question not just for Peter and John, but for us. Jesus says, what is that to you? All right, turn to Genesis 27. So in Genesis 27, this is, I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Uh, I don't know why we say cliff notes anymore. Nobody actually reads cliff notes. I'm going to give you the Wikipedia version. So we should just change that right away. Genesis 27, here's what's happened up to Genesis 27 that's relevant for what we need to know. Genesis 27, there's a story of two brothers. Um, They're actually twins. We don't really talk too much that they're twins, but they're twins. Um, They're most likely fraternal twins and not identical twins. Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first and Jacob was born second. In fact, Jacob's name actually means deceiver. And he was holding on to his brother's heel when they were born. Um, Which is kind of crazy, right? Now, we know that they're probably fraternal twins because the Bible describes them as looking very different. Esau is described as having a reddish complexion. And he's very, very hairy. Like super hairy. Like he's the guy that takes off the sweater and is still wearing a sweater. That's how hairy Esau is. Esau is not just hairy, but he's like this kind of this rugged outdoor hunter. He's kind of one of those guys that, you know, if he doesn't catch it and kill it, he ain't eating tonight. He's the type of guy you see on a reality show that they drop him in the middle of nowhere And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. That's Esau. But then Jacob is the opposite. Jacob's a little bit more of a homebody. Likes to hang out more with his mother. He's a mama's boy. There's nothing wrong with that. He likes to hang out at home with his mom. And uh, he doesn't like to go out and hunt. And he doesn't have a sweater under his sweater. (laughs) This is Jacob. Now, up up to chapter 27 of Genesis, Jacob comes to a point where there's this sacred, sacred and symbolic gest- gesture that a father would give to his firstborn son, a blessing. And this blessing was supposed to go with you for all of your days, and, and you're going to end up with lots of resources and, and God's, God's privilege on, upon your life. So in Genesis 27, Jacob decides he's going to steal his brother's blessing because he's not the firstborn. Esau is. So it says in Genesis 27 that he actually goes and dresses up in his brother's clothes. Apparently they wear different cologne or something. They got to, you know, smell different. I mean, it literally talks about the the smell of his brother. It's a musky smell, I'm I'm guessing. You guys are going to laugh with me or not. I don't know what's going to happen. First service was a lot better than this. So we're going to have to change some stuff right now. Oh, it's all right. It's the voice. I get it. If I do this whole thing as James Earl Jones, will you laugh with me? That's the way I feel right now. You're like, anyway. So Genesis 27, uh, he, Jacob dresses up in his brother's clothes, but he, it says that he also takes animal fur and ties animal fur onto his arms so that he can recreate how hairy his brother is. So that if his dad touches his arm, listen, you are hairy. 
if someone can tie animal pelt to their arm and recreate your hairiness. That is a problem. That's like doctor problem. You got to go to a doctor. So he does that. So in verse 18, we're going to see Jacob end up talking to his, his father. Now, here's the other thing I want to point out before we start reading together. The Jewish storytellers, when they would write, we don't have anything like this in, in our English literature as well. The closest thing we have is what we would call foreshadowing. A Jewish storyteller, the very first words that somebody speaks in a given context of scripture is significant to that character in that moment of reading. So look at what Jacob says for his first words here. Verse 18. Then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. So when we first are introduced to Jacob, Jacob don't want to be Jacob. Jacob wants to be Esau. Jacob doesn't want to be second born. Jacob wants to be first born. Jacob's not happy being Jacob. This is the first um, identity theft in human history. Right here. (laughs) Verse 24. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So we meet Jacob and Jacob is doing everything he possibly can to not be Jacob. In fact, what I didn't read to you in this is not only did he steal a blessing, but he stole his birthright from his his brother. He doesn't want to be Jacob. He wants Esau's life. This is what he wants. Now, if you have a Bible, Genesis 32, five chapters later is where we're going to go next. I'm going to give you the Wikipedia version as well. This is what's happened in five chapters. Keep you up to date. So mom finds out that Esau wants to kill Jacob. So she goes to dad and says, you know what? The boy needs to get married. And he says, you're right. So he does what any father would do. And he sends him to their uncles to find a wife. I don't get it. Going to a family reunion to find a wife does not seem like something I would do. Maybe if you're from Arkansas, I don't know. (laughs) But he does. He goes to his uncles. He marries a cousin. He doesn't just marry one cousin, but he marries two cousins. And then he ends up marrying their servants as well. So now he has four wives. So now he's from southern Utah. (laughs) I can say it. I live there. He has four wives. and He's got a bunch of children. Now, the other thing that's happened in five chapters is He's not only has a, a ton of wives, but he has now actually deceived his, his uh, father-in-law, which is also his uncle. And uh, he's very, very wealthy. The blessing that he stole from his brother has followed him, and he is blessed beyond measure. So in Genesis 32, he decides to head home. Him and his father-in-law, uncle, it's crazy. They have a falling out. You see, this is when people say the Bible isn't exciting. I'm like, it is Jerry Springer all over again. <laughs> The Bible is crazy. So after leaving his uncle, father-in-law, uh, they have a falling out. He's heading home. His dad's died and his mom has died during this time. 
And he hears that his brother is now coming to meet him. But his brother's not coming alone. His brother is coming with lots of other men. And the last thing he had heard was that his brother wanted to kill him. So he's nervous and he's scared. So this is literally what the Bible says that he does. That he takes like his servant that's over all the sheep. And I don't know what else you put with sheep, goats, whatever. I'm not a farmer. Which is clear for the fact that I live in Miami now. But, but he's, he takes his servant and he says, listen. You take all the sheep, all the goats, and you go ahead and you go ahead of us. And when you get to my brother Esau, you bow to him and say, these are your sheep. These are your goats. And we are your servants. And then he goes to his, his servant that's over his camels and his donkeys. And he says, you go ahead of me. When you get to my brother, bow to my brother. Say, these are your, your donkeys and your camels. And we are your servants. He does this for everything that he owns. He gives it all to his brother. Eventually, he even says to his wives and his children, he says, listen, if my brother comes, he's going to probably kill me, and you guys are going to get hurt in, in, in the battle. So you guys go ahead of me. Go to my brother. Submit yourselves to him. I kind of joke about it and be like, he gave his kids away too. <laughs> so awesome. But he sends everybody ahead of him. And he's all by himself in Genesis 32. So think about this. He stole everything from his brother. The blessing, the birthright. And at this moment in Genesis 32, he's given it all back. He's emptied himself of everything. He's broke. He has nothing. And in Genesis 32, it says that, and I don't have time to get into the, there's a lot of theological debate on this, about this angel man comes down in Genesis 32 and has a a wrestling match with Jacob in the desert. It's crazy. I picture in my head that this angel has like a tap out shirt. (laughs) It must be a brutal exchange because Jacob's hip is thrown out during this whole thing. And so in Genesis 32, it's verse 26. Then he, and this is the angel man, says, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's obsessed with blessings. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. You see, when we first met Jacob, Jacob didn't want to be Jacob. He wanted to be Esau. And finally now, with nothing, emptied completely, all by himself, With nothing, he's finally comfortable in his own skin. He's finally okay with being Jacob. When he's asked, who are you? He's finally like, just Jacob. I'm I'm number two. I'm second. I'm a deceiver. I stole everything from my brother. I swindled from my father-in-law uncle. finally okay with being Jacob. Look at verse 28. This is the angel man says to him, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. There's two things there. First of all, I'm, one, I, I, I'm thinking in my head, Jacob's probably like, ah, you know how long it's taken me to get comfortable being Jacob. Now you change my name. <laughs> the other thing is he says, and maybe your, your version of the Bible says, uses the word uh, struggle. 
in its translation. But he says, you've struggled with man and with God and have prevailed. I think the struggle here is not the physical fight that took place. I think the struggle is you struggled with who you are amongst men and God. You finally get it. You're just Jacob. Which really is not the story of Jacob, but it's really our story, right? I mean, maybe this is what it is with you and I, that we're not okay with how God made us. Maybe we wish we were, we were bigger or smaller or richer or shorter or taller, prettier, stronger. We grew up there. Pastor Mark in the back said, you should just start, our crowd would love this. You should just start singing, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. Maybe we wish there was something that was different about us. Maybe that's all our New Year's resolutions are all about, changing something about us because we're not happy with who we are. Maybe this is our central struggle. I believe I'm 51% right. That the thing that keeps you and I from really connecting with each other is that we're not secure with who we are. And because we're not secure with who we are, it also keeps us from connecting with God. But I think I'm 51% right. Because I know that this was my story. Um, I grew up in Italy and then moved to the United States. And I've lived in Sacramento, Arkansas, Missouri, Colorado, Utah, Texas. And now, haha, the 305. And everywhere I moved, I wanted just to be like everybody else. I wanted to fit in. I totally wanted to fit in. And so when we would move someplace and the skaters were the in crowd, man, I was a skater. And when we moved someplace, like I remember moving to Sacramento, the the thing to wear was like the big poofy starter coats. I was like, mom, I got to get a big poofy starter coat. And my mom went out and bought one of those like Mighty Ducks starter coats. The new hockey team that started up. I was like, ah, thanks, Emilio. Some of you got it. And then we moved to Arkansas, and I know in your mind you're thinking that in Arkansas it's all um, bib overalls and a piece of hay in your mouth, but that's not what it was like. In Arkansas, it was everyone wore polo and Tommy Hilfinger, and everything was like so clean cut and super preppy. So I went to my mom. I'm like, Mom, we got to buy polos and all that. You know, I need polo. I need that. And so my mom went to Walmart and bought me. And it was like a little jousting guy, you know? (laughs) Knights of the Round Table. (laughs) Everywhere I went. In fact, I remember we moved. um, I lived in Georgia as well. We moved to Georgia and I went out to go play sports because that was the thing. You got to be a jock. You got to be an athlete. So I go to play sports and they'd be like, oh, did you play sports before at your last school? And I was like, yes, I was a starter. I never even played. (laughs) Ever. I just wasn't happy being me. And I didn't know who I was. In fact, here's how much I hated being me. Is My, my name really is Trinity Jordan. Like, I know you think I changed it because I'm speaking at a church. <laughs> but there's, there's some old Italian spaghetti Western movies. And the cowboy's name was Trinity. And the, the movies are like, my name is Trinity. My name is still Trinity. There's three of them. I know you didn't see them, 
But my dad did. That's why I'm named Trinity. And I hated it. In fact, when the movie The Matrix came out, I really hated my name. Because then people were like, man, were you named after the movie The Ma- and The Matrix? I'm like, yeah, because I'm the largest 12-year-old you've ever met in your life. Come on. So I went by my initials. I was always TJ. So everywhere I went, I was TJ, and I would recreate myself every place we moved. It wasn't until I started following Jesus that I started to realize that I'm Trinity. Like, I'm never going to name my kid Trinity. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm not cruel. But I'm Trinity. And I don't need to pretend anything. Because, see, God couldn't start using Jacob until Jacob was okay being Jacob. The fathers of Judaism, Abraham, Isaac, and up to this point, there was no Jacob. Because how could God use Jacob when Jacob wanted to be somebody else? But now he could finally start using Jacob, which is really your story and my story. How can God use you when you wish you were somebody else? When you're trying to be a cheap imitation of somebody else, you need to be you. You don't need to conform to what the world says you need to be. You don't need to conform to what your neighbors are or are not. You need to be you. And this is really our story. I think you can make the argument that one of our central struggles as human beings is that we're not okay with us. And that we struggle with liking ourselves. And it's one of the reasons why we don't connect with God well. And so Jesus says to Peter, what is that? To you. And Jesus responds to Peter's question with a question. How many times do you and I do this as well? We look to somebody else for our happiness. We look at what somebody else has to compare our happiness. All right, last, last place in scripture I'll take you this morning as we start to conclude this. It's Exodus chapter 20. I know some of you are like, oh, that's the Ten Commandments. It is. Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are. Now, if you've spent any time in a Christian church, though normally some type of Bible study or, uh, you know, like a Sunday school class, they'll teach you that um, you can divide the Ten Commandments by these ones. The first ones are about your relationship with God. The last half are about your relationship with other people. Well, that, that is true. But that's not what Jewish scholars and rabbis have been arguing and debating for years, hundreds of years. The central argument that they've had is that they believe that the the Ten Commandments were God's standard principles and that Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these other Old Testament books that we have that that are really kind of the law, so to speak, that they were all all that the Jewish people are trying to do was legislate the Ten Commandments. How do we make sure that nobody breaks these Ten Commandments? Well, we're going we're gonna to make a ton of different rules to make sure that these Ten don't get broken. But the argument has been this. Why would God give us the Tenth Commandment? Because, see, the first nine commandments are all what we call externally observable. You can see them being broken. Thou shalt have no other God besides God. 
We could see if you were to worship another God. Thou shalt not steal. We could see if you steal something. Thou shalt not dishonor your father and your mother, which is my favorite one. I hope my kids are listening. You could see these things take place. But the thing is, man, why would God give us number 10? You can't see number 10 happen. Let me read number 10 to you. It's in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his season tickets to the Miami Heat or his male servant or his Maserati or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall covet this. You can't see that happen. I could be having a coveting party right now. You would not know. I could covet all of those vests that Pastor Bob wears. I've only got one. You wouldn't know. And so this is what Jewish rabbis and scholars have argued is, why would God give us something we couldn't stop? We can stop you from doing this and going here and stealing somebody's things. And we could have ramifications to to make you stop. How can we do it when it's in the heart? And this is what they've concluded. This is what they've kind of come up with. They've said this, that if you actually did one, number one, thou shalt have no other God besides your God. And you started to follow two and three and four. Then by the time you got to 10, they call it the bonus. That you would be comfortable in your own skin. And you wouldn't want anybody else's life. You would be happy with what God gave you. You wouldn't be wishing that you had somebody else's life. You'd be happy with the life God gave you. You wouldn't be wishing for some other opportunities. You'd be happy with the opportunities God has given you. You wouldn't want a different path. You'd enjoy the path that God has given you. And so Jesus says to Peter, what is that to you? The angel man asked Jacob, what is your name? How many times do we look at others? It steals our joy. We start comparing ourselves. Just think of all the petty ways that we, we rate ourselves with others around us. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads with me, I just want to speak some things to you and let you dwell on them. I think for too long we've always lived um, I think for too long we've lived with these ideas within our culture that uh, you need to be like the family members that surround you that you need to be like the people you grow up with that you need to be like the people that you work with so I think some of you just need to hear this this morning. You are not your brother. You are not your sister. You are not your mother. You are not your father. You are you. 
others might call flaws, what others might call weaknesses. God created you to be you. There is only one of you out there. You're created in perfection. Where you get off path is when you try to start being like somebody else. God, I thank you that you've allowed me to speak this morning and to teach what your sacred literature says about us. And God, how when we do get an opportunity and chance to read this sacred literature, it is as if we are staring at a mirror. Our humanity is staring right back at us. And God, I believe that you can help us to continue this dialogue of learning to be secure, of learning to be happy with who we are. God, of not pretending to be something we're not. And that just like Jacob, when we can finally be comfortable in our own skin, you can finally start using us. God, help us to be okay with us. I pray that for every person in this room right now. In your name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Trinity. I'm going to invite you to stand up. And, um, you know, as I hear the story of Jacob, of a guy that lived his entire adult life running from God, the question that I ask myself is why? See, there's a lot of you here today that you're living your life the very same way that Jacob lived, running from God. God has a purpose for your life, and God had a purpose for Jacob's life, regardless if he was born first or second. God had promised his mom that the the promise was to Jacob, but she didn't trust God. That was it. Jacob didn't trust God. His mom didn't trust God, and they tried to do things on their own. He deceived his father, and now he lived his entire life running, lying, deceiving, and tricking, and all along, God had a purpose for his life, a purpose for his life that was bigger than any plan that anyone could ever have. You know that through Jacob is the lineage that we got Jesus, that we got salvation. And his entire life, God's trying to tell him, Jacob, trust me. Wait for me. I got a purpose for your life. I want to do something big in your life. And Jacob was so busy trying to do things on his own that he kept lying and deceiving and tricking and not accepting the fact that God had called him. You see, you may be here today and you're running from God. You're running from the will of God in your life. And God's saying, slow down. I got a purpose for you. I got hope for you. I got big plans for you. Plans that you can't even imagine. That's what God has for you today. And so my question to you is, are you ready to say, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing my own thing, of chasing my own thing, of trying to attain things that will never satisfy. 
You saw how many cattle Jacob had. You saw how many wives he had, how much money he had, yet he had nothing. See, you may be here today and you're chasing the things of this world. The things of this world are empty. The things of this world will perish. They will cease to be. But Jesus will be forever. The hope that Christ can give you today, if you say, God, I want you. I'm tired of running. That will last forever and ever and ever. So my challenge to you today is instead of running from God, why don't you run to God today and say, God, I want to give you my life. I want to pray for you today. If you're here and you're ready to run to God and say, God, I want what you have for me. That story that you want to write with my life, start today, God. Don't start tomorrow. Don't start next year. Start today. If you're here and you want me to pray for you, you want me to lead you in a prayer where you can give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come forward and I want to pray for you. Are you here? Are you ready? Come forward. If you came with a friend, say, hey, would you come up with me today? Would you come up with me today? Maybe you're a Christian. You know what? Jacob believed in God. Jacob talked to God. Jacob prayed to God, yet he was running from God at the same time. You may be a Christian here today, and you are running from the will of God in your life. And I invite you today to come to God and say, God, I'm tired of running. Speak to me. Use me. Do whatever you want in my life. The band's going to play. And as they play, I invite you to come forward. Amen. George.